Chapter fourteen of A Woman's War by Warwick Deeping. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. Chapter fourteen. Murchison slept the sleep of the just that night to wake to the golden stillness of a July day. With the return of consciousness came a feeling of profound relief as he remembered the ordeal of the preceding evening. Catherine had risen while he was yet asleep and was standing before the pier glass combing her lambent hair. Murchison's eyes had opened to all the familiar beauty of the room, the delicate touches of colour, the books and pictures, the sunlight shining upon the curtains with their simple stencil of scarlet tulips. He lay still a while watching his wife, and the tremulous glimmer of the golden threads tossed from the sweeping comb. Catherine had been spared the lot of many of the married, that casual kindness, that familiar monotony that smothers all romance. Love is often blessed when gleaning the fields of sorrow, and the pathos of life is an inspiration towards poetry. Those who suffer most are the children of the spirit. Life never loses its mystery for the idealist. While your épicier has no stronger joy than the purchasing of a red-wheeled jig, or the building of some abominable and inflamed-faced villa, Murchison rose, kissed his wife, and dressed to the sound of his children laughing and romping in the nursery. There was something invigorating to him in their noisy prattle, a breath of the east wind, a glimpse of the sea. On the landing he met Miss Gwen, running to him with open arms. Murchison seized on the child and kissed her, as though God had given him a pledge of honour. The clean home life seemed very sweet to him that morning. He felt strong and sure again, ready to retrieve the unhappiness of yesterday. The day's first rebuff met him at the breakfast-table when a rough cart stopped outside the house, and the maid brought him a dirty note from Boland's farm, with immediate, scrawled across the corner of the envelope. Instinct warned Murchison that it contained bad news, and Catherine saw the clouding of her husband's face as he read the letter. "'Mr. Baxter is worse, dear?' "'Yes,' and he passed her the note. "'It is the species of case that breeds bad feeling.' Catherine flushed angrily as she read the letter. It came from Mrs. Baxter, and was the impertinent production of a vulgar and half-educated mind. "'What an insufferable person! And this is gratitude! Shall you go, dear?' "'I must. They refuse to see Inglis.' Catherine's eyes glistened as she returned the letter. "'Professional men have much to bear,' she said. "'Chiefly the criticism of ignorant people. "'And the ingratitude.' Murchison smiled. "'I have found the good to outweigh the bad,' he said, "'but these cases sadden one.' The hours had passed stormily at Boland's farm. There had been a brisk battle between Mrs. Baxter and the nurse before the lady had spent sixty minutes under the farmhouse roof a battle that had originated in the simple brewing of a basin of beef tea. The nurse and the housewife advocated different methods, and the trivial variation had been sufficient to set the women quarrelling. Dr. Inglis had intervened in the middle of the discussion, only to divert Mrs. Baxter's anger to himself. She had assured the theorists bluntly that they needed him no further, and had requested him to inform Dr. Murchison that the Baxters of Boland's farm were not to be insulted by being served by an assistant. Despite the energy of the wife's tongue, Thomas Baxter's condition had grown markedly worse. The nurse and the two shrews had watched him through the night, 
their pitiable peevishness unmoved by the sick man's peril at seven o'clock nurse sprang had favoured mrs baxter with her opinion worse of course the housewife had exclaimed what can any christian creature expect after the way they hacked the poor soul about the nurse had ruffled up in defence of the profession you had better send at once for dr murchison i should think we had the lad can drive over in the milk cart murchison did the thing he'd better mend it if he can murchison drove through the july fields where the corn was rustling for the harvest the cottage gardens were full of flowers sweet peas a-flutter in the sun the borders packed with scent and colour on the river's bank the willows drooped lazily and the meadows had been shorn of their fragrant hay to the south the pine woods of marley down touched the azure of the sky his welcome at boland's farm was neither cordial nor inspiring murchison had expected sour faces and sour and sinister they were mrs baxter was a cynic by choice one of those women who count their change carefully to the last farthing as though forever expecting to be cheated her manner towards murchison was abrupt and aggressive she bore herself towards him with a threatening dourness as though she held him responsible for her husband's critical condition i am sorry to hear mr baxter is no better the lady looked supremely sapient as though the brilliance of her genius had foreshadowed the event i think i told you doctor that i don't hold with all this operating i am sorry that we disagree perhaps you will step upstairs doctor and just see mr baxter for yourself madam's presence was not enthralling and murchison escaped from her with relief the ugly parlour with its texts and its piety seemed part and parcel of the world to which farmer baxter's wife belonged but sick men cannot be responsible for their wives and murchison knew that tom baxter was more sinned against than sinning nurse sprang was sitting by the patient's bed looking limp and tired as though her patience had been torn to tatters by mrs baxter's restless temper she rose as murchison entered and drew back the curtains to let more light into the room murchison nodded to her and took the chair that she had left the farmer was lying very still and straight his eyes half closed his breathing shallow as though any expansion of the chest gave him acute pain well baxter how do you feel the man turned his head feebly ay doctor not mighty grand any pain now pain sir plenty not like the gripe but just as if i'd had a lot of weed killer sluicing about inside of me ah any tenderness the farmer winced under murchison's hand bless you doctor it be damned sore where all over what do you think of me sir i guess i'm pretty bad the man's eyes were searching murchison's face he had been a fat and hearty liver a full-blooded man who had loved life where his wife was not and was loath to leave it there was something pathetic in his almost bovine dread as though like one of his own oxen he had an instinct of the end murchison pitied him he had seen many such men die some like frightened animals others sullen and sturdy against their doom you must keep up your pluck baxter he said i know sir but my dear fellow you are very bad it is no use shirking it i hope yet to see you recover all right doctor you've done your best and he turned his face away with a groan of despair 
Murchison took the nurse out with him to the head of the stairs and questioned her as to any symptoms she had observed during the night. Her evidence only tended to strengthen the gloomy prognosis he had already made. Nothing remained for him but to consider Mrs. Baxter's unsensitive soul. The lady did not weep. On the contrary, she displayed gathering resentment, the prejudice of an inferior nature, and gave Murchison the benefit of her free opinion. "'I may as well tell you, doctor, that I'm not satisfied. If my Tom had had proper attention from the first, "'Well?' "'You wouldn't have had to use that there knife, and it's my opinion, sir, that you've done more harm than good.' Murchison's patience was being severely tested. "'I don't think you are quite yourself, Mrs. Baxter,' he remarked. "'Not myself, indeed. "'I cannot hold you responsible for what you are saying.' The suggestion of any hysterical weakness on her part offended the lady more than her husband's probable decease. "'Look here, doctor, I'm no fool, and I tell you you've done your business badly.' "'My dear woman, this is absolutely unwarranted.' "'I beg to differ, sir, and—' Murchison prevented the imminent insult. "'If you care to place the case in other hands, by all means do so. "'I shall send for Dr. Steele. "'As you please. "'And don't you be afraid of getting your money. "'That is a secondary consideration.' "'Oh, I guess not. "'Operations don't cost tuppence halfpenny. "'I'll send for Steele at once.' "'Murchison took his hat and gloves. "'Then, Mrs. Baxter, I had better wish you good morning.' and being too much of a philosopher to accuse the lady of ingratitude, he left her in possession of her prejudices. It had been the season of garden fate at Roxton, when the gracious gowns of the mesdames and demoiselles glorified the sleek lawns and herb-scattered gardens of the old town. Gay colours and piquant hats were in July flower, save for the few sober weeds who put forth no gaudy corolla to attract the winged messengers of love. Mrs. Betty had paraded the terraces and yew-walks in dove-coloured silk, in crimson, and in lilac. Her successive sunshades were as so many royal flowers that came as by magic from the house of glass. She was an ascetic spirit and loved beauty, particularly when the picture was painted upon the surface of her own pier-glass. Yet, delectable as she was with her pale and sinuous glamour, Mrs. Betty had many rebuffs to remember within the sound of St. Antonia's bells. Dull, domesticated ladies in a country town do not embrace with enthusiasm a young and fascinating woman who has a habit of drawing the men about her. Mrs. Betty was regarded as a dangerous person, a species of Circe, who looked sidelong into the faces of respectable married men, and possessed a mother-wit and a vivacity that made her seem like sparkling wine beside the domestic ditch-water she abhorred. Catherine Murchison succeeded with her sister-women where Betty Steele failed utterly. There was a frankness, an absolute lack of the guile of the Cleopatra, about her that set jealous matrons at their ease. She was so notoriously devoted to her own husband and her home that the respectable flock welcomed her with pleasant bleatings. It was this very popularity of hers that impressed itself on the social pageantries of Roxton. The quick-eyed Betty saw her rival receive the smiles of the feminine community, while she herself was favoured with polite distrust. Catherine Murchison was considered orthodox, 
and to be orthodox is the first proof of gentility among genteel people mrs steele might be stigmatized as something of a social heretic and women being the most outrageous tories in their heart of hearts dreaded the fascinating and glib-tongued socialist who would perhaps reform the marriage laws into free love hence through the galaxy of the roxton garden parties parker steele's wife had accumulated many incidental grievances against her rival women are sensitive beings so sensitive that their feelings may be diffused into a smart gown or a paris hat the old battle-fire burned in mrs betty's circassian eyes she was amassing her grievances slowly surely and with that curious secretiveness that has often characterized the feminine heart thomas baxter of boland's farm is dead parker steel whisked his serviette over his knees and looked with a peculiar glint of the eye at his wife in her orange silk tea-gown dead no dead as marley but they only turned murchison out yesterday exactly and the dear wife is in the most militant of tempers the puritanical old fraud betty steele's olive skin had flushed she was breathing deeply and her glance had a significant and inspired glitter parker well what else the spruce physician showed his teeth you expect more yes you are teasing me keeping back some delicate morsel has murchison blundered the wish seems mother to the thought perhaps mrs baxter has demanded a post-mortem examination i am to perform it the wife's lips parted and closed again into a hard line she looked wickedly handsome in her yellow gown i shall take brimley of cossington with me good you must have a second opinion and brimley does not love the six-footer what do you think parker tell me frankly the doctor wiped his moustache took up his sherry glass and sipped the wine can't say yet he answered but supposing well what am i to suppose that murchison blundered badly dr steele meditated an instant professional etiquette he began mrs betty's eyes flashed professional nonsense if parker you must not lose a possible chance her husband regarded her with amused interest you would strike your little italian stiletto into murchison's reputation he said End of chapter fourteen